Father, we are so grateful for your presence here this morning. And Father, we are thankful for your word. We thank you that your word gives life and tells us how we should live. And Father, we pray that we look at, as we look at your word this morning, you'll open our hearts, you'll open our understanding for those things we need to, to know and understand today. Father, more importantly, may we be quick to put your word into practice in the days to come. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning again. It is a good day. It is a good, good day. And uh, last week, Pastor Gary spoke about adventure, about going on an adventure, and how living the Christian life should be a great adventure. I like that he reminded us of some of the great adventures that we have been on recently as a church and as a congregation. It is good to look back once in a while and say, wow, God is good. God is good. God has been taking us on a great adventure, and for that we are truly thankful. It's an exciting time to be attending Calvary Temple, an exciting day to be one of the pastors of Calvary Temple. Heidi and I are continually grateful for the support and encouragement you are as a congregation to us. We're continually amazed and honored that God would choose to use us at this point in the history of this church because I believe we're living in exciting times in the life of this church, and we just see it as a privilege to be part of the leadership team here. And as our pastor reminded us last week about the adventure that we're presently on, I'm also excited about what God has in store for Calvary Temple in the near future. I trust each of you will hang around for a while and go on the ride with us, go adventuring with us in the weeks and the months to come. Well, I began a personal adventure of sorts about five years ago, and it became one of my favorite pastimes. And many of you are aware that I do a fair amount of long-distance running. It's what I do. I run. I've done two full 26-mile marathons this spring already. That's, well, actually, that's not quite true. My, my first marathon uh, of the year was in Minot, North Dakota, and it happened on the day of that freak blizzard that last weekend of April, if you remember that day. The storm hit the city of Minot at 10 o'clock in the morning, exactly in the middle of the marathon. 80-kilometer-an-hour wind, snow, and freezing rain was just pelting down. I couldn't see where I was going. The wind was literally blowing me off the road, and, and most of the route was the gravel road and had turned to slippery, ankle-deep mud. It was a very scary experience. And at mile 18, they pulled me off the road and closed the course down. So I was very disappointed not being allowed to finish. Three weeks later, I ran the full marathon in Fargo, North Dakota. No storm hit that day, so I was able to finish the race that day. The next weekend, uh, next weekend, I'll be in Winnipeg running the Manitoba Marathon. I don't think there's going to be a blizzard next weekend, hopefully. Anyway, it's what I do. I run. Some think I'm a little crazy, but there are worse pastimes, I suppose. I'm a bit of an advocate for fitness and healthy living. I love when I'm driving around Brandon and I see people out using the bike paths and walking and, and jogging. You don't even have to be running. Just even out there walking, I love to see that. And seniors, I love seeing seniors going for a walk. That is one of the best things people can do to prolong life is just go for a walk. God has given us unique and amazing bodies and expects us to take care of them. Yeah, that's my uh, little fitness platform for this morning, so we'll just leave that one alone. I've actually also done some, some shorter races, half marathons, 10, 10K races. Even last weekend, I, I ran, or a couple weeks ago actually, I ran my first five kilometer race. But my favorite race is the full 26.2 mile marathon, 42 kilometers. There's a lot about life and about myself that I learned from running and training and racing. 
There are a lot of aspects of a long race that are relatable to real life, or at least can illustrate real life very well. I'd like to look at a passage this morning. It's found in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. If you're using the Pew Bible in uh, front of you, the Isaiah is a fairly large book, fairly close to the center of the Bible. We also have the passage on the screen for us this morning. It's also printed on your newsletter inserts, so we have it all over the place. Isaiah was one of the Old Testament prophets who lived a few hundred years before the time of Christ. In fact, he was one of the prophets that foretold that the Messiah was going to come to earth and have to die for the sake of the world. And he didn't try to set an actual date like some prophets do. He just was, said it was going to happen, and he was right. It did happen, just as he said. Isaiah said and recorded a lot of other things as well. And now, 2,700 years later, these things are just as applicable and meaningful for our lives today. So I'd like to look at one verse this morning. Actually, I'd like to get a bit of a run at this verse. So I'm going to back up, keep it in context by starting at verse 28. Starting at verse 28 of Isaiah chapter 40, it says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Verse 31 again, it says this, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Soaring, running, walking. I find that pretty much every time I run a 26-mile race, the race is broken up into three main parts. There's the first 10 miles, miles 1 to 10. Then there's the next 10 miles, miles 11 to 20. And then there's the last 6.2 miles, the last 10 kilometers of the race. And each marathon plays out in a similar fashion for me, and not only for me, but for most other average recreational runners. During the first 10 miles, things are actually fun. You've trained hard, your fitness level is high, you've got lots of energy, you feel fresh. The adrenaline is pumping through your body, you're running along with hundreds, sometimes even thousands of other people because everyone has just gone through the starting gate at the same time, so you're all packed tightly together. And you can hear other, other runners talking with one another, chatting with one another, telling running jokes to one another. You can just sense every, everyone is excited and full of hope and anticipation of a great day and a great race. You run full speed through the water in the Gatorade stations. You thank all the volunteers. You high-five the policeman that's stopping traffic for you. You see your family on the side of the road. You smile and you wave. You make a funny face for the camera as you pass by. It's the first 10 miles and things are fun. You really feel like you're flying along and you think to yourself, this is easy, no pain. Then you get to mile 11 and begin the second part of the race, which will take you through the next 10 miles. And by this point in the race, you don't have the masses of people around. Everyone is spread out and going their own pace. So you see some ahead of you and some behind you, but there's no more big crowd. Runners you do see aren't talking to each other anymore. You can tell everyone is concentrating a little bit more. You're not in pain, but it's taking a lot more effort to keep the same pace going. The hope and the excitement and the anticipation of a great day has changed as the reality sets in that this is going to be difficult. Your breathing gets louder, heavier, more labored. 
As you go through the water stations, you don't have the energy to thank the volunteers out loud anymore, so you try to remember to nod and smile and not dump your cup of Gatorade all over them. Your pace now, although consistent, isn't as loose and as easy as it once was. Rather, it's more purposeful and planned. You cut every corner that you're allowed to and you take the shortest route possible. Instead of running on adrenaline, you force down some carbohydrate gel packs to replenish your spent energy. You pass by your family again and nod and smile. Maybe even give them the thumbs up, but you don't say anything. You're running. And it's getting difficult, but you're still running a good race. Then you reach mile 20. And you begin the last 6.2 miles of the last 10 kilometers of the race. And they say a marathon is the race of hope and truth. It's 20 miles of hope and 6 miles of truth. Now everyone is really spread out and you're running more or less all by yourself, pacing yourself. The sun is much higher in the sky and beating down on you. And all you can think about is the next water station and how you're going to get yourself there. Not only are the carbohydrate and the caffeine gels doing nothing for you, your muscles are screaming at you to stop torturing them. You smile and nod for nobody. You pass your family who's cheering for you, but you're in a trance and you don't even notice them there. You're no longer polite as you go through the water stations, grabbing cups of water out of the volunteers' hands and pouring them over your head trying to cool off. You notice even the slightest of inclines in the road. They feel like huge mountains to you, and cracks in the pavement become like hurdles that you stumble over. The race is hard. You question your own sanity. You want to quit so bad. You start making deals with yourself and promise that if you somehow get yourself to the finish line that you will never run another marathon again. You see other runners on the side of the road or at medical aid stations, you hear occasional ambulance sirens somewhere in the distance. And many people are no longer running, they're walking, even limping along. And it's all you can do just to tell yourself just to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Just keep jogging, limping, walking. One step at a time, realizing that each step is getting you closer to the finish line. And you think to yourself, this is the hardest thing that you've ever had to endure in your life. When I read Isaiah 40 and verse 31, I see Isaiah talking about three different kinds of days. Perhaps three different kinds of experiences. Maybe three different seasons or stages of life. When I first read the verse when I was younger, I thought Isaiah was just being repetitive. I thought soaring like the eagles, running without weariness, and walking without fainting was just three ways of saying more or less the same thing. I, I thought Isaiah was just trying to drive home a point by saying it in different ways. And it wasn't until I was older and had gained some life experience that I realized that these three lines were talking about three very different things but all reaching a similar result. In fact, although they are very different from one another, they all are attached to a similar promise. You see, just like the first 10 miles of my race when things are fun, when things are going well, there are days that we wake up and we're on top of the world. Everything seems to be going well for us. Nothing seems to phase you. Everything is just clicking for you. Blue skies all day. And as you go through your day and you come in contact with other people, it's easy to be friendly to them. You say hi, you stop to chat, you smile at complete strangers. Everything seems to be just working out for you, and it feels exciting to be alive. And during these times, it's easy to keep up with our relationship with God, spending time with Him and in His Word and in His house. It just comes so naturally during these times. And I hope we all have days like that once in a while. I know it's not reality to live like that every day, but I hope that there are some days that are like that for you. Maybe it's in seasons of your life that are like that. Maybe a great week, a great month, a year. I hope we all get to experience that even once in a while where we just feel like we're soaring like eagles. 
Isaiah would have no way of knowing what it felt like to fly. He could only imagine what flight would feel like. He could only watch the eagles and the great birds of the air and imagine what it felt like to be up there. There's a ride in Disney World that simulates what it would feel like to fly. Not a flight simulator like being on an airplane or a jet or a rocket, but actually free-flying like a bird. My family and I have been on it. It's an amazing feeling. They make you feel like you're flying over the Grand Canyon or out over the ocean or, or through some mountainous pass, and you feel all the ups and all the downs, and they even generate the wind on your face. It's an amazing feeling. And coincidentally, they named this ride Soaring. Isaiah picked a good word to describe the feelings of a good day. Isaiah says, those who hope in the Lord will soar on wings like eagles. And when we put our trust in God, God shows himself to be faithful. There will be days that will feel so good, it will feel like our feet are hardly touching the ground. It will feel like we are flying through life. But then there are days where maybe we aren't soaring like the eagles anymore. Not necessarily any particularly bad things happening to you, but maybe things are getting a little more humdrum, a little more same old, same old, or maybe life has gotten real busy for you all of a sudden. Maybe things have changed at work or at your school or, or you've entered a different stage of family life and life has turned out to be fairly demanding with very little time to rest and recuperate and definitely very little time for recreation or pastimes. Maybe it's a busy season for you that you're going through. Maybe you don't necessarily feel like you're drowning, but you have to concentrate now just to keep your head above the water. You need to keep moving just to make sure that you don't become overwhelmed. You're still running, but you have to concentrate to keep your pace steady. And it's not as easy to get out of bed in the morning. You don't really dread your day, but it's tougher to convince yourself to get started. And maybe situations are happening around you that are starting to make life a little more difficult. You're feeling a little more pressure, a little more weight. You haven't buckled, but the burden is definitely getting heavier. Isaiah says, those who hope in the Lord will run and not grow weary. I must admit that I I live most of my days right here in this line of this verse. I thankfully have some days where I'm soaring on top of the world. I love those days, but those aren't every day. Most of my days, I'm keeping up with my daily disciplines. I'm faithfully doing what God has called me to do. I'm fulfilling my role as a husband and father, a good pastor, a good administrator. I'm happy. I'm content. Physically, I may get tired at times, but I'm not overwhelmed. And I enjoy the busyness of each day. And each day, I find God to be faithful, and I trust in Him, and and I'm able to go through my day at a steady pace, a running pace, without slowing down because of weariness. Isaiah reminds us that sometimes we'll be soaring like the eagles. But there will be some days we may just have, we may have to have both feet on the ground and, and even concentrate to discipline ourselves to make the right choices and say the right things and spend time with God and work on that relationship with Him. And as we are faithful and as we put our hope in God, we will find Him to be more than faithful to us. It's His promise. It's His promise. And then there are those days that are just like the last six miles of my race, the last 10 kilometers. It's all you can do to coax yourself into putting one foot in front of the other. You aren't running anymore. You definitely aren't flying. You're just steadily walking one foot in front of the other. 
Maybe everything is an effort. Maybe your health has taken a turn. Maybe you're experiencing sickness or a loss. Maybe you're experiencing depression or loneliness. Maybe a family struggle or a broken relationship. Maybe you're grieving and you feel no one understands. And you don't know how you're going to make it. You can hardly think about tomorrow, let alone next week. It's just one foot in front of the other. Just one foot in front of the other right now. It's all that you can manage. It's a difficult time in your life. Some tough life experiences have really crowded in on you and you don't know how you're going to make it. Isaiah says, those who hope in the Lord will walk and not be faint. I've been here before. Thankfully not often, but there have been days where I'm not flying and I'm not running, I'm just walking. And they're difficult days. And you wonder if you're going to make it. And as, as, you look around, as, as I look around this morning... I realize that there are probably some people here even today that are experiencing less than desirable situations. And maybe it was all that you could do just to get yourself here this morning. And in public, you've put on a brave face, but the reality is you're going through something really tough, maybe even painful. And sometimes you feel like you're flying, sometimes you feel like you're running, but sometimes you'll feel like you barely have the energy just to keep walking along and concentrating on getting one foot in front of the other. And even during these times, God promises to be faithful. He says, when you have to walk, you won't faint. He won't let you stumble. He won't let you fall. Last week, as I was leading worship, I was drawn to the passage from the life of Job. And Job had just found out that he had lost his family, his farm, his livelihood. In fact, he lost his own health. And his wife and his friends that were left tried to tell him to blame God or curse God and die. I read them last week and I'd like to read them again this morning. I think some of the most poignant words of worship recorded are, are written in that first chapter of Job. It records this. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground in worship, in worship, and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job is an amazing example of someone who had their heart in the right place. Job was an example of someone who at one time was flying. He had everything going for him. He was rich. He had his health. He had his land. He had his family and friends all around him. He was soaring through life, so to speak. But as he receives report after report that he's lost everything, even his family, he had a decision to make. Was he going to blame God or was he going to bless God? Job had no idea why this was happening to him. Job didn't know what God was doing. This was definitely not something that was expected. It wasn't something that Job would have asked for. In fact, everything seemed to be pointing in the opposite direction. Up until this point in his life, Job had been receiving almost every tangible blessing in life that you could ask for and then had it all ripped away from him. How was Job able to maintain his faith? How was Job able to cope? How was Job able to keep walking Job had put his hope and his trust in the Lord. Job's hope was not in his farm or his livelihood. Job's faith was not in his wealth or his riches. Job's trust wasn't even in his own family and friends. Job had learned to trust God. And although Job didn't understand what was going on in his life, he had learned a long time ago to trust God. 
And if we put our faith in things that we can do, things that we can accomplish, if we put our hope in money or financial institutions, if we put our trust in family and friends, if we put our hope in things that we can tangibly attain that would seem like the comfort and the security of this life, if that's all that we've put our faith, our trust, or our hope in, then when those things are taken away from us, we have nothing left. We have nothing left to hope in, nothing left to trust in, and we can't go on. But if we have placed our faith and our trust and our hope, and if we have it positioned on the Lord, then with or without all these other things, we know that God is going to be faithful to us. We know that God is going to look after us. We know God will never abandon us, and He will see us through. There's one more verse in that chapter of Job that I didn't read last week, but I want to read it this morning. It says this, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In all this, Job did not sin. I've met some people who feel that they've been let off the hook somehow because of a situation that's come their way, and that somehow gives them the right to be bitter. I know people who feel that because of what they're going through, they feel they can forsake the disciplines they at one time thought were so important in their life. I know of people who feel that they have the right to be rude or complain or allow themselves to wallow in depression because of a difficult situation they're facing. You may be going through a tough time in your life. You may be experiencing genuine pain and heartache. You may be facing a situation and you think that no one else knows how you feel. I won't lie to you. Sometimes no one else does know how you feel except God. It doesn't matter what you have to face. There is no excuse for forsaking or turning your back on God. He is the one person that does understand. There's no excuse that gives you permission to harbor bitterness towards God or towards other people. There's no excuse for rudeness or thanklessness or deciding that we no longer need to worship the Lord. It's just wrong and there's no room for that kind of attitude in the life of a believer who has placed their hope in God. And at the same time, I never want to say that the problems in this life that we have to face aren't real or that they aren't painful or that they don't hurt. Sometimes we do face things that We have no idea how we're going to get through or go get around them. Maybe you're carrying some real deeply painful stuff with you today. I know that painful stuff is real. Notice how Isaiah allows for all three possible situations. He doesn't say those who hope in the Lord will soar on wings like eagles and then end there. As if that was the final word on Christianity and faith in God. That if we trusted in God, we would experience every day this euphoria of emotions. We would just be flying every day. Isaiah doesn't end there. He knows that there will be days where it won't seem like we're flying, but we're running. And he even knows that there are going to be days where we can't even run. There are going to be days that are difficult and we just have to walk through them. And the amazing thing is that God attaches a promise to each day. He says, if you hope in me, I will be with you. I won't let you fall. I won't let you faint. I won't let you buckle under the load. It may not be easy, but you're going to make it. Before I understood this passage, I always thought that Isaiah had written it backwards. In fact, I thought I could actually write it better. If I wrote the passage, I would have started off with walking and then moved to running and then ended with flying and soaring. Everyone knows it just makes more sense to build towards the end. You want to have a strong finish. There should be a progression. To me, it seemed almost anticlimactic the way Isaiah wrote it. He gave away the best line first and then moved to something that was okay and then ended with something that almost seemed like a downer. It seems to be so backwards. 
But then I, I realized Isaiah has it right. It actually does build in progression. You see, when I'm going through those first few miles in my race, if someone cheers for me or yells out some chant of encouragement during the first part of the race, I hardly notice them. And to be quite honest, it probably doesn't matter whether they're there or not. And inside, as I'm running, I find it very easy to agree with everything they're telling me and hoping for me and promising me. The crowd yells out, you can do it. And inside, I'm thinking to myself, I know I can do it. The crowd chants, you look good, you look strong. And I'm thinking to myself, I know. The crowd encourages me, you're going to make it to the end. And to myself, I'm thinking, there's no doubt in my mind. I know I'm going to make it to the end. Because it's early in the race, and things are going well, and with or without the crowd isn't really going to change how I feel. I feel great. But then during the second part of the race, those cheers and those words of encouragement become a little more meaningful because reality begins to set in that this isn't going to be easy. It, it's going to get difficult and you still have a long way to go. And suddenly words like, you look good, you look strong, you can do it, you're going to make it. These words take on new meaning all of a sudden. They become words of encouragement. They become words of hope. They become a promise that you want to hold on to so tightly. These same words become more powerful than they did at the beginning of the race. And then when things get really tough during those last six miles and you want to quit, when the pain sets in and when you, you think you can't make it to the end, those same words of encouragement may mean the difference between going on or quitting. And when I'm running along at the end of the race, I, I don't like to be alone. Because when you're alone, it's too easy to quit. But if you know the crowd is watching you, if another runner comes up alongside you and you run together, it somehow seems to help out. Just knowing that you aren't alone sometimes is enough to get you through. And that word of encouragement, that hope, that promise of the finish line being just around the next corner will get you to the end. What are you experiencing today? Are you soaring like the eagles? Is everything just clicking for you? Are you experiencing God's blessing today? It's good to know that God is faithful and will keep every one of His promises. It's easy to believe that when things are going well. Are you running a good race in spite of situations around you? Are you disciplined even when the going starts to get tough? Do you recognize God's promises are just as real and of even more value when we need to face the day-to-day -day situations of life that are sometimes thrown our way? It's good to know that God is always with us. He will never leave us. And even when things are starting to get a little more difficult, God promises to give the strength to get through. We will run and we will not grow weary. And today, if you're experiencing pain or heartache or situations not of your choosing and you're having difficulty coping or facing each day, then these words and these promises written by Isaiah become even of more value to you today. Take hold of those words. When you're going through your day and wondering how you're going to make it, when those types of days come, remember the Lord will not let you faint. You may have to just walk for a while. It may be one foot in front of the other for a little while, but God promises to be with you. Be with you right to the very end and see you through. That's powerful. That's encouraging. That is our hope. That is our promise that we can hold on to today. Isaiah did get it right. God's promises are amazing. And while God never promises that there won't be difficult days, He promises to be with us and see us through victoriously. I think those are words of great hope today. You ask, what's the catch? There really is no catch other than in this life, those promises are given to those who hope in the Lord. These words of promise are, are not all inclusive for everyone in the world, only those who hope in the Lord. What have you placed your hope in today? If we've placed our hope in anything other than God, then when that is taken away from us, we have nothing left. We're without hope. But if we place our hope and our trust and faith in God, then even if everything else is stripped away from us, we can still hang on to those promises of God.
soaring, running, walking. What kind of day are you having today? What season are you going through right now? If your hope is in God, then we have some amazing promises to cling to today. Let's pray. Worship team, you can come as I pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so grateful that you choose to speak to us and into our lives through your word. And Father, even right now, by your Holy Spirit, just begin to seal up that word in our hearts that we've heard today. Father, we thank you for your rich blessings in our lives and thank you that there are days that we feel like we're just flying through life, we're soaring through life. We thank you for those wonderful days, those wonderful seasons in life. Thank you that we can stand on every one of your promises and know that they're sure. We thank you, we thank you. But thank you, God, that you're also with us and promise to get us through days when we just have to discipline ourselves to make right choices. We have to discipline ourselves even just to spend our time with you. And Father, thank you that you're faithful to us. Keep your promise. Father, when the pressures and the busyness of this world start to crowd in on us, Father, thank you that we can go to your word and we know that it's sure, we know that it's true, and we know that you're going to be with us and you're going to be faithful and you're going to walk with us. And Father, for those days that are tough days, those seasons of life that are tough seasons of life, Father, we thank you that you still continue to be faithful and that your promises are even more real during those times. So Father, we cling to that today. We cling to your word today. And Father, as we go through this week, we desire to prove your word. We desire to put your word into practice our places of work, at our schools, people that we're going to come in contact with, the situations that we have to face, situations that we're facing even right now. Father, we want to prove your promises are true as we go through the days to come. Father, prove yourself over and over again in our lives. We thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your blessings. Thank you that you're with us and you're here this morning. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here working in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lindsay's going to lead us in a closing chorus. If you have a need and would like someone to agree with you in prayer or pray for you, please feel free to come and meet us at, at the front. We have prayer teams. I just love having the opportunity of praying with you. Whatever your need may be today, our altars are open. Feel free to come as we sing. Let's stand together as we sing a closing song. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come together together to lift up your name.